Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And today we're just going to play a little bit of catch up. There's been a lot of shit going on uh, with me at work and family life and COVID and painting and all this other kind of crap. So uh, that's why you haven't been hearing my voice. So uh, today we're just going to play a little catch up and see what's going on in our lives and move forward from there. Well, it's good to have you back. You know, I'm looking forward to hearing kind of what's been going on with you. Uh, no, you don't really want to hear about it. But I'm going to share <laughs> anyway. Totally understand. Going to share anyway. So, oh man, it's been, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with things. So I'm really not. So there's been like family things going on. Like I said, work has been just intense lately. I mean, we don't talk about work very much, but holy crap, it's been busy a lot more than it really should be so i you know mike and i are able to telework for our jobs and uh it's um they're making sure that we're getting use out of our computers i did have to travel into dc to get a new computer so they did upgrade all of our computers because they figured since they didn't give us cameras or mics on our older computers, I found out that I had one of the oldest computers, <laughs> laptops, in our agency. So uh, they gave me a new one. And uh, yeah, it's pretty nice. But now I have a camera, so that means I have to show my face when I go to these stupid meetings. Um, but yeah, it was uh, quite an experience going into Washington with uh, nothing and nobody around. Um so did it have a ghost town feel to it it kind of did i get there early enough actually i wasn't there early i was there a regular time and uh no didn't see any cars parked didn't see any people walking around uh there was uh i take a train so there was only i think three of us in our in our car but yeah it was a uh, ghost town um it was it was kind of interesting uh, see, there was only two of us on our floor. It just happened to be that my supervisor happened to come in also, but we were just doing a swap out. So I had it, you know, I was busy just getting my computer ready and my laptop ready and trade news in and just getting, um, a brand new setup. And, uh, but I was, I mean, it was fun and exciting. It was exhausting because I haven't done that in a while. So remembering where I park and how to drive a car and all that kind of crap, just, uh, you know, just kind of like, oh, wait a minute. I make sure I have my ID and all that other kind of stuff. And so now let me, let me ask you this though. So in the world of COVID and when you're riding the train, people were probably all spread out, right? Yeah. So actually that was really interesting. And I, um, I don't know how other mass transit works. So we have individual seats within, um, within the, the box cars because I, I take a train. So the first thing I noticed, and if I have a picture of it, maybe we'll put it online or something, is the train stop, and they have the whole entire width of the uh, the uh, um, the platform has these giant stickers that say "Stand here." So it's so they're all six feet away from each other. So there's like hundreds of these little dots all over the place. It was pretty comical when I first got there. Then when you get on the train itself. They um, they had them all uh, broken up um, and separated. So they had giant stickers this time on each of the seats that says you cannot sit here because of social distancing. And I'm sure they said something a little bit more comical and a little bit more 
representative, but not, you know, it wasn't just like, hey, don't sit here, you know, don't want to get everybody sick. Um, and then they had them separated through. But it didn't matter because, <laughs> I mean, I was on one side and someone was on the opposite side. People weren't talking to each other. We didn't see the conductors except for like once. I don't even think they're looking at ID or the, your tickets. Uh, probably Amtrak is, but what I take, I don't think they were. I think they just realized if you're getting up that early in the morning going into D.C., you probably understand the drill and have your tickets on hand. Um, so that was, um, yeah, it was, it was, that was a pretty like eye opening because it was the first time that I've really gone into a populous area and seeing how they are um, trying to mitigate things. So I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, they, I knew they would do it, but I thought it would be like, you know, blue tape or masking tape or something or caution tape and they would just tape it on somehow or something. But no, they got some pretty uh, cool graphics and uh, some neat little stickers and hopefully my prices don't go up. No, if this was the normal world, uh, if there were three people on the train, one of them would have sat next to you, even though the rest of the car was empty. Yes. Just because that's the way people are. That, that and parking lots. Because that, yeah, exactly. And it really irks the crap out of me because I am the guy who likes to park away from everybody else. And I'm also the asshole that seeks out cars that park far away and I park next to them. So I get it coming. I get it going. So, so <laughs> now I won't be the guy who like parks next to somebody who like takes up four parking spaces because they don't want anybody to mess up their expensive cars. Um, I, you know. I won't do those because that's kind of irrational and I, I, I'm going to expect the response to be irrational also. Um, but um, yeah, I do it depending on the mood I'm in, but I do like to sit away from each other. Or if it's like the store just opens up and you park somewhere and you come back out and there's like 50 people parked around you. I'm like, come on, man, there's 15 other. So now I got my wife saying it now. So she's starting to realize that people pick on me also because no one, no one parked next to her, but they always park next to me. It's kind of weird, right. but <laughs> no, I get it. I get. It. I, I, I totally understand. I'm the same way. I, I am the park away from people, and then there you come out, and like there's that one person that parked next to you, and you can barely get into your car. Uh, exactly. They to, exactly. They had to back. They instead of <laughs> just going into a parking spot normally, they have to do the whole. I'm going to back in so I can get out easy. But granted, everybody's got to wait 20 minutes for me to park. And you're like, yep. oh my goodness. Or, <laughs> or they see me coming out of the store and they decide to park in the parking spot right next to me. So I have to wait for them to take their children out or all their returns. And <laughs> they decide they want to leave their door open so that I can't get into my vehicle. And it's not – I mean I, I work with data and I, I, I analyze data a lot. It is not just random. It's like a lot of times people do this. So I don't know if maybe everybody around the world just has the same problem. So, but I don't know. There'll be 50 parking spaces and someone's going to park right next to me and keep the door open. And I have to like sit there and wait. And there's no other people in the parking lot. It just makes no sense. <laughs> oh man, I feel your pain for sure. But So what, what else has been going on, man? Holy shit. Uh, I have actually been traveling. So maybe that's why I don't feel as well as I should. I'm not saying it's COVID or anything like that. But uh, uh, sleeping when I have a chance to sleep, uh, zero motivation to do anything at all except for the last week or so. Um, 
I, like I said, I've been doing a lot of traveling. I've uh, had to take care of family matters in other states that are full of COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're using our safety precautions, making sure we're not going out or anything like that, especially when I'm taking care of my, my older mother. Um, but the positive out of it is I've been able to spend time with distant relatives, uh, especially my brothers, that I don't get a chance to see very often. So that has actually been a real joy. Um, if anything out of this crappy experience that we're all living in, um, that would be a, a positive. Um, but uh, yeah, just, you know, hanging out with them, uh, doing the things that we do, uh, just, you know, just spending time with family. And it's, it's different than being, you know, your nuclear family, uh, but traveling somewhere else, seeing different things, seeing how they interact and how other, other communities react to what's going on in, in the world. It's, it's kind of interesting. And I won't explain where they're from because, well, <laughs> that answer a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where, where in particular did you travel to, if you don't mind me asking? So, <clears throat> so I did travel to Georgia. I stayed a lot of time in Georgia, but I was able to go into Florida a few times because we had to for business. And, um, yeah, I, I got to stand in line and have someone ask me questions about, like, where I'm from and what I'm doing and things like that. And, you know, and, and see the tent where they want to stick things in my throat or any other place to see if I have any kind of diseases or anything. But, uh, yeah, I just kept my mouth shut and didn't say anything. And they just let me go through. So hopefully I don't pass anything on to everybody. <laughs> so that's uh, going into Florida from Georgia. There, There's uh, the checkpoints. And uh, I've been through a couple times and they're not always open. Uh, but I, um, but we did get uh, stopped a few times for it. No, yeah, we, when we just went to Florida, because I also I was on vacation, we we avoided the east coast of Florida, which is where all the COVID hotpoints <coughs> are, and went towards uh, Captiva area, which is kind of isolated. And it was it was interesting because our GPS actually took us around the checkpoint, and we're like, yeah, that's not a very effective G checkpoint if you could just get around it by going and getting off two exits before it and then getting back on 95 after it yep, you know exactly <laughs> not the most strategically effective type of, of way to do it but yeah it's been a it, it's interesting though to see because like when we were in georgia the social distancing because we actually stopped and spent a night in savannah on the way back Mm -hmm. was terrible it was non-existent i mean some people were wearing masks some were not you know and then the restaurant we went to we were like really stressed out because they were doing social distancing <laughs> um but you know and it was interesting like parts of florida before we got like when we got to like sanibel and captivia they were kind of all hardcore into the social distancing masks and everything we only saw one place that wasn't really abiding by it so we avoided it but even even on the beaches, they had everything marked out and six feet apart and everything. So that was that was reassuring. But uh, it was it, it was definitely interesting to see the differences. And coming from Northern Virginia, where we don't have the conversation about masks, everybody just wears a mask up here, which is kind of keeps a, you know. No, 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 I was saying which is kind of funny because my daughter was able to go to Virginia Beach with a friend a few weeks ago and she said the exact opposite. She said it was frightening to go to Virginia beach because no one wore mask anywhere. 
and she's like no one was um doing social distancing and so they kind of like stayed away from a lot of the stuff that they just wanted to do like walking along the beach because too many people no one's wearing a mask you go into a restaurant they walk right back out because the family is uh, pretty concerned about health and everything so um she was frightened she's just like nah this it, it was it was fun to be away from home but it wasn't fun because everything that they're trying to impress upon us just isn't being followed in some locations uh so i was in georgia for most of the part that and when i went there a few months ago it was very lax it was just like whatever and i think that was just before the you know things started getting bad down there uh but when i went back this time around um there definitely was a lot more mask wearing um a noticeable amount and uh social distancing was taking um was taking place also. So I saw some improvements where I went. Um, daughter did not. Florida was uh, very strict where we were at because uh, that was, you know, that's one of the uh, the new the new uh, locations or areas or uh, what do they call it? Something hotspots, hotspots, yeah, epicenters. So um, yeah, needless to say, it was pretty stressful. Um, but they were they were they were trying at least so. That was that was cool and good, but um, hey, we see enough and hear enough about all this crap going on. So uh, let's move on to something else because this is just depressing. People don't want to hear it. Right? No, no kidding. <laughs> you know, one of the cool things about my trip was I actually got to stop at a hobby store in Savannah, Georgia, called Morning Star Games and Comics. And it was actually it was pretty nice. It was a cute little store, um, mostly focused on comic books, and they had a ton of Warhammer stuff with some other board games mixed in. You know, it's kind of kind of the standard type thing that goes on now is that you have the Games Workshop stuff, and then they have a dabbling into the world of Dungeons and Dragons, and so you get a few Reaper minis, a few Whiskers minis, and then a lot of board games and comics, and so that's a lot of. That's a lot of different stores that I see. Not that it's a generic store or anything. It was very nice, and it, I enjoyed going in and interacting. I bought a pack of push fit sequiturs to play with and work on color schemes and such, and so um, try to contribute a little bit to the local gaming scene. But it was also it's also kind of in a weird way too, just like everyone else. When we go visit your hobby place or games garrison, you know, and they have basically all of the gaming areas cordoned off. It's like, no, you can't get back. And it really kind of shortens the store. It's, it's It was just an interesting experience. But, you know, anyways, I digress. Anyway, congratulations to Morningstar Games that they're still open and running. It was a nice store to be to. And I really enjoyed my my I didn't get a ton of time there, but I did enjoy the time that I had there. Oh, cool. Um, no, I haven't been back to my stores, I think, from the last time that we went there and and just uh, talked for a little bit that uh, last month or so. Um, I just, you know, I have enough crap going on, uh, even hobby-wise, that I haven't had a need to go into. I think all that will change tomorrow when GW finally releases the last few remaining boxes of the Dominus, the uh, 9th edition 40K box set. Since everybody else in the world seems to have their copies, except for a few that don't. I've already seen like entire painted armies and everything, but I'll, I'll head out tomorrow and um, check them out and see what they have. I have half a box of Space Marines that will be painting black. 
because I just don't feel like painting the other color right now. Because I've been painting so painting uh, so many um, uh, BattleTech figures, and uh, I've been doing my 30K Dark Angels. So I'm just going to spray paint every, everything black and uh, throw them into my uh, 40K army after I uh, dry brush some green on them since uh that makes me a happy painter <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go. necessarily make me a better painter <laughs> but it does make me happier <laughs> hey that's that's the end game right there yeah. is that it makes you happy now um so you split you were able to split a box with the neck i was actually right? yes i was lucky enough um that uh, when when they made the announcement i happened to be in the store so i went ahead and said hold the box for me and if you can just split it because you know I, apparently people split games uh i have never this is the first time i've ever split a box i usually keep both sides but necrons i've sold all of my necrons throughout the years that i've owned so i decided that i just didn't they're just going to sit around i was like i'm really just going to be a space marine guy um you know maybe chaos or something but um i was like yeah i, I just I don't need the Necrons. So actually somebody needed their Necrons needed or wanted them. So I'm like, Hey, I'm cool with that, man. Knock, knock yourself out. So I was able to split it. Um, we'll see how they, you know, how it all works out tomorrow. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm not getting the box set. It's not in my price range. And I just, I don't game anymore. I don't have a need for an army. I am going to grab some of the models individually out of it though. Cause I do think there are a few just, incredible models in there like well there, there are and that's why i wanted to space marine figures because they're real they're really nice i do like the sculpts i guess since i started talking about what's going on on my desk a little bit let's swing it back to you see what you're doing and then i'll go swing back around and uh, fill in the blanks of some of the stuff that um i've been doing hobby oh, sure. okay cool um well Kind of on my desk right now, I still have uh, a 75 Leonardo, a millimeter Leonardo Ninja Turtle uh, I've been working on. I've just kind of been taking my time on him, working on him here and there. Uh, I'm enjoying the process of painting him a lot. It's much different because of how big he is. Um, and also his position is somewhat odd, like the posing of him is a little bit odd. So it's it's... I have it in pieces, like in sub-assemblies, but it's, uh, I have to constantly check back onto where it fits in to like work on light and stuff like that. So uh, that's been, it's been a, a good, but unique challenge for me. I'm also working on, I have my ideas nailed down and started for the massive voodoo slash Mr. Lee's astronaut competition. And so um, I don't want to go into that, the details of them per se. One of them's based on space balls uh, and another one is based on I have really gotten into watching uh, acrylic canvas painters on YouTube lately. And so uh, I, part of it was looking for, trying to look for inspiration for anything. And actually one of them inspired me for an idea for one of those astronauts. And so um, I'm going to try some canvas painting techniques on the background of one of them just for fun. I'm not a canvas painter, but you know, what the hell might as well. And then the last one, um, I'm working on a piece that I want to submit to ReaperCon's online convention and to Evier Metals Ed Banger, which is coming up here um, in September. It is the miniature is called Sclady Wave Splitter, 
She was a ReaperCon exclusive from last year that when I, you know, I have a swag problem as we, as you and I both know that, you know, when, when these organizations, when these conventions sell their <laughs> swag bags online, uh, I have a tendency to buy them. Uh, I love swag bags. Don't know what, <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't feel like a convention if you don't get a swag bag. Um, but anyways, it was an awesome model. I was actually my favorite Reaper miniature uh, that I've seen so far. And so I, I've been enjoying painting her. I'm doing a little bit of a different type of diorama. I sent you the pictures. We can post the work and project pictures too on Instagram. Of uh, I took a dollar store champagne glass and broke off the front of it and kind of built a sand, sandy beach diorama in it with a couple of palm trees. And I'm going to do a water, pour, uh, like a resin pour at the front of it to have water kind of spilling out of the broken areas of the glass. Just something different, something fun. You know, after a lot of, I, I would say a good, what, 70 to 80% of miniature painting winds up being kind of in this I don't want to say grim, dark style, but a lot of it is darker. Most of us paint monsters and uh, evil things, etc. And pushing contrast really does, you know, work those darks and lights, etc. And so this was something that's just a little bit more fun, fanciful, not really serious, not taking it really seriously, just enjoying kind of the process and looking at and not going, oh my gosh, this shadow wasn't dark enough because you know what? It's a woman standing on the beach. There's not going to be a lot of shadow, you know, because <laughs> the sunlight's going to be directly on her. And I actually, I will say this, I paid very, a lot of attention to this when I was on the beach a few weeks ago looking at people and seeing like how like is there a ton of shadows when your sun is right over you and they're just not the shadows almost in it's almost like if you were going to do a realistic beach scene of a person most of the shadows are going to be kind of like black lined as opposed to these drastic you know shots and contrasts etc but then you know you have the other side of it which we're, of course we're painting in smaller scale so you do need it in order to use contrast in order to make miniatures pop etc but kind of just trying to figure out the balance between those two things but um that's neither here nor there it's a fun project uh i'm enjoying the heck out of that one and working on it uh, hopefully i will be at the point of doing the resin pour at the beginning of the week the next week and uh, i'll let everybody know how that goes so but what else are you working on uh got back into printing i was having uh, some problems with some of my settings and i wasn't very happy with the uh resin that i was using so i got a new resin and recalibrate it and i've been getting some fairly good prints so um i've been moving forward with all my battletech guys and uh testing out some some schemes with them uh, i've noticed online that a lot of people that are in our little battletech universe have been you know at least the the more um, um experienced painters have been doing a lot of uh, modulation and you can imagine modulation is pretty difficult on these little guys so i've been practicing that and that's been a lot of fun uh, so i have some um, some green guys and i have some gray and blue guys that i've been um, working on and um, i've been doing like some loaded brush stuff been practicing with that a little bit just actually not practicing just playing around with it and i've really enjoyed doing that because that's more of a uh, finesse technique so it doesn't just allow me, you know, just to slop on some paint and not worry about it, but something that takes my time and try to enjoy the actual painting process. Completely different than 
like I said earlier, spray painting my guys black when I get them assembled here in the next couple of days. It's really funny. You and I go through similar phases. And I've been where I've been playing with loaded brush a lot too lately, not on a miniature, but like just kind of practicing it on other things, et cetera, and just trying it when I when I don't feel the inspiration to paint, I've been playing with just trying it on paper. But uh, it's just funny how a lot of our things go back and forth, you know, <laughs> wind up mirroring each other without yeah. talking to each other about it. Uh, yeah, when I don't feel like painting or not motivated to paint, I will um, uh, go into my uh, pile of sprues and start to assemble or clean off mold lines and stuff like that. So it still keeps me busy, but it allows me to, to at least move forward on some things. So I have an awful lot of space marines that are sitting there waiting to be painted. painted. And uh, we'll see if we throw them into the mix and just spray paint those black too. Uh so speaking of black, my uh, thirty my thirty case um, dark angels they're all spray painted black, but now I have to do all the highlights and other colors. So I'm doing those assembly wise. So I have like forty or fifty of them ready to go. Most of them have the the um, primary colors already put on. So now I just need to put a little bit of finesse stuff. And with these new guys, I will be doing some weathering, which I haven't done in the past. Uh, usually I just keep them kind of clean, like they just came out of the shower, but uh, I decided this time to make them a little bit more gruff since it is 30K and uh, things are a little bit more nasty in that universe. So uh, doing that, and um, I was playing Magic for a while. Um, I got into the physical Magic game for a little bit, but um, COVID has really made that difficult. So I punched out of that. I do play online a little bit, but I've really enjoyed the last week or so of just uh, painting and doing some assembling with my uh, Battletech and my Space Marines. So I have not been playing Magic because it is a soul suck, and it's a whole other conversation. Because this is not what we call listening to Magic Cry, magic <laughs> cry show. Yeah, exactly. It's all right. We could, you but can it still is a talk fun about game. whatever you want. We're not. We're not. I enjoy I I so I really do enjoy it and I and I notice that I go back to my old um playing I guess schemes or uh I don't even I don't even know what they're called um so any of you magic people out there know what they're called when you use a type of deck I I notice that I've, I I lean back to that that way of playing which I don't know how to explain it um but it's fun I, I've always been a black and green player um, experience experimenting a little bit with like black and red because that's been a lot of fun um, but I don't have to think much about it I just um, you know click the buttons and it tells me if I'm supposed to do something or not or if I don't have the right amount because if I was to do it by hand um, I would have forgotten half the crap that I'm supposed to do so um, makes computer games make things much better and funner so, so really that has been it hobby wise I think uh, have Let's you purchased see. anything new? Uh, uh, no, I'm. I have. I am either printing little Battletech guys out, uh, or I am. I am uh, painting all my old stuff. But I am waiting for the ninth edition box when it comes out. It'll be tomorrow. I'll start putting some of those guys together. I'm looking forward to those. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of details in there, so that should keep me busy for the next couple of years. <laughs> I was going to say right there. That's a mat, you know, 60, you know, you didn't get 61. You just got the space Marine. So it's still a big increase to the pile of shame for sure. You know? yeah. So I actually have made some purchases. 
nothing major. Um, but for Father's Day, I, and it took a little while to get them because of all the COVID stuff, but I ordered Rosemary and Company smushing brushes. Now, that may not make sense. Uh, it just, what, what the hell is a smushing brush? But it is basically a domed brush. It's If you see a makeup brush, they're actually pretty similar to some of the, I don't know, I'd have to get my, my teenager down here. She'd explain the different types of makeup brushes. But anyways, it's kind of a dome top, short bristled dome top. These are the same type of brushes that Artist Opus D series is, and that's the their dry brush series for Artist Opus. Um, I can't afford Artist Opus brushes. Sorry, Artist Opus. Um, but uh, the Rosemary and Company version of these are substantially cheaper, and they were also a Father's Day gift from my wife, which was nice of her. Uh, <laughs> so, but one of the things that I've been, cause I, I actually enjoy dry brushing a lot when I do like the scenery and stuff. And even sometimes I will, uh, after I Zenithal prime and I, I'll throw a, a dark gray wash on a miniature and then dry brush it to kind of do a light sketch. Um, which is a video I learned that from uh, Vince Centurella's Hobby Chidi Pady, your very best mini. Um, these are really nice. One of the tricks to them though is that uh, they're great for stippling too is that there is when you buy the artist opus brushes you get this little thing called the dampening pad and basically you put a little bit of water in it and as you're going through the process of dry brushing you kind of dip the brush back in it and take paint off it kind of it's almost like thinning your paints before you dry brush which i know that's a technique that um, roman laplatte uses because it actually will decrease help to decrease some of the chalkiness of the dry brush uh like because that's one of the big drawbacks about dry brushing is what when you dry a dry brush like larger open surfaces you have a tendency to get a chalky buildup. but if you are using things like the dampening pad and just kind of reinvigorating the paint that's on a bra uh, on the dry brush and taking it off kind of again and then dry brushing more it actually helps avoid and kind of almost gives you more of an airbrushed feeling as opposed to a chalky dry brush feeling so it's kind of interesting mastering that i had to i don't since i don't have the artist open things i made my own dampening pad with some sponge from a blister pack and a makeup little makeup jar that i stole from my teenager uh I'd feel bad about that, but when I can get my dang hair dryer back for when I glaze would be nice. We'll have that conversation about stealing. Anyways, <laughs> with that being said, I also decided to venture out and try, uh, I did not know Kids Logic made uh, Robotech miniatures. And so I actually uh, got a Skull Leader 1 Kids Logic miniature. I'm still waiting on it, but it's kind of exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to... I remember when I was younger that they used to release these model kit, these kind of smaller scale model kits for um, Robotech miniatures, and I used to buy them all the time when I was a kid. And so I'm looking forward to playing with that and seeing what I could do with it. And of course, it's Skull Eater One, so gotta gotta grab one of those, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I've been tracking them for a while now, and I just haven't purchased uh, if i didn't have my 3d printer to make kind of the same things uh, i would definitely have a full set of those because they are pretty darn good and they're beautiful sculpts when you finally get them uh, they did a fantastic job and the quality is pretty high pretty high actually um little pricey but not as pricey as what a normal hobby 
things are. It's just, you know, I, I don't see it being played as a game or anything like that. They'll sit and they're just really just static pieces. Uh, so you'll spend a little bit more time painting it and making it look good because it's just going to sit on a counter somewhere or sit in a, in a case. Somewhere. Now, I, w- I, I will, I will say this, though. I, I didn't think the prices were that high. They were 10, 10 bucks, 10, 15 bucks a piece, depending on the, what you got. The Skull Leader one was only $10. But here's a trick, though. I made the mistake. I ordered direct from Kids Logic. Uh, I should have purchased it from somewhere like the US, in the U.S., like Big Bad Toy Store has a huge selection. Actually, they have more on their website than is available on Kids Logic's website, which is kind of strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's quite a few uh, distributors here in the states that that have them, and um, you might pay a couple, you might pay a buck or two more. Um, but you'll you'll pay half just, the you know, shipping costs, like, though. Uh, yes, yeah. you will. Yes, you so will. That makes that makes a huge deal. But one other thing I was going to add that I forgot is that so I tried um, part of also my father's day gift was uh, some other brushes as well with the Rosemary and Company thing, and I actually ventured in most. Miniature painters, when they recommend Rosemary and Company, recommend the Series 33 uh, watercolor brushes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ventured into the Series 8 as well. I purchased a Series 8 number 3. And I have to tell you, mm-hmm. Series one, the Series 33 is closer to a Windsor Newton, right? It's more like it's that's kind of if the, you wanted to have another Sable brush comparison. That's probably a good comparison point is that the sizes match similarly. The brushes act the same. The Series 8 is very similar, not quite as fat bellied, but it's actually a lot more similar to the Raphael 8404s. And I'm digging them. I, I, I'm enjoying painting with it. It's got a great belly on it, a nice straight lines. Now, like when you, one of the reasons why, and we've had Jason Craze on the show. One of the reasons why the Bombwick igniter brushes are, are great is because they're they're designed not to really have a huge belly on them. They're straight lined. The goal was to create a good way of uh, like nice crisp edge highlights, etc. Because of the way the brush is, if you if a round, a more rounded brush, you, when you do like side lining on a, on a miniature, you're going to get a little bit of overspill, etc. And so that aspect of it's nice. So every basically. All these brushes that we ever talk about, Rosemary Company, Artist Opus, Broken Toad, Raphael, Igniter Bimewicks, my God, we can go on and on and on. Even Citadel brushes, they all have their purposes. And part of it is the artist. And uh, I will say that when we originally discussed, I was kind of a, uh, a negative Nancy on the Rosemary Company brushes, but they've kind of grown on me. And so mm-hmm. I still dig in mine. I love it. it- you know, I know we have the game and I have the game envy ones, but I can't remember who makes theirs. But I love those things, and my Rosemary Company are pretty awesome, also. So those are my t- those are my two go tos at this point. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go back to one of my old school Citadel ones. I, I think it's their standard mm-hmm. brush. Oh, that's an old. Brush. Those they are old, old. That's yellow they, and orange handle. <laughs> yeah, and man, I man, that I don't know, I don't know why, but the brush, the um, the bristles are still pretty good, and uh, it still has a decent point on it. Now, I won't do my super detail work with it, but for my general painting, man, those are awesome. But anyway, anyways, I'm looking forward to playing more with them. Uh, I just, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying 
experimenting with them. I'm actually contemplating getting some DaVinci brushes because, you know, what the heck, try them out. <laughs> You know, you know, I like my DaVinci yeah. brushes too. So. Right. I, you know, it, and it's, it's, I find I'm using more, I will say that I'm more and more using synthetic brushes for over 50% of the work I'm doing on a miniature, um, especially metal miniatures, because, you know, putting sable hair across bare metal or against, against metal, not a good idea. Um, and so I find I'm using more, more and more using synthetic brushes, but finding out strategically I'm using my, Kalinsky sable brushes better. So since you were talking about brushes, that brings me up to Kickstarter. Um, so I happen to get an email that um, some of my stuff is ready or will be ready pretty soon. So I figured this might be a good time just to talk about some things that we might have got purchased or ordered. Uh, I don't, not definitely or supported on um on Kickstarter, uh, do you have anything that you've done, or do you want me just to go right into what I've? Had? I can be pretty quick about it. You know, I, I I'm currently backing the Ma uh, Mini Masterworks carrying case for the Studio X. Uh, yeah, I love that thing. It's going to help my house. I mean, it, my even my wife was like, "Yeah, that would be nice to have, so you can put all your crap in one place." This I'm waiting on the supposedly these are being shipped soon. The Succubus series. Uh, done by oh they used to be kabuki now there's someone else um still waiting on the nocturna end paint stuff they've kind of gone radio silent um that that uh, that should uh, should have been delivered by now but we're still waiting here and then the other one that i have is the ouroboros miniature twins and we had tim on the show that was awesome that, that i'm looking really looking forward to getting those uh, and that's the big model and a little girl. So, but anyways, that's what I have. Uh, let's see, I'm still waiting. Well, I think uh, in the uh, anything that is any Kickstarter projects that have uh, finished within November, probably September of last year uh, on are pretty much going to be delayed. So, uh, my big one from last year was BattleTech. Uh, the clan invasion and they keep they they giving they're doing a very very good job at updating us with everything that's going on so that's not the issue it's just you had factories shut down at one point which is impacting other um, kickstarters that I have uh, but I think that's just something that the supporters are just gonna have to just bite their tongue on because you know everything everywhere has kind of like come to a standstill or is just now starting to get back online. And so we're now we're going to be delayed a little bit longer because that should have been, if everything was perfect in like March, April, uh, we should have started getting our first wave of stuff in and it just hasn't happened. But they, they also um, had an awful lot of backers, so they have an awful lot of stuff they have to do. Um, so I think that's just going to take a little time. The uh, ghost brushes, I, I'm getting the try brushes at some point. Uh, that has also been um, a project that has been delayed because it's going overseas. I did, uh, I think you might have brought up somewhere about uh, the forgotten chapters, which are the decals for uh, writing. Or I, Yeah, I we had a Facebook the, case, uh, a Facebook question about yeah. it. And, uh... So they're water slide transfers. 
um, that are really darn good. And I wish I had the guy's name, but I think he's going to open up a store also. Uh, so he has some really, really cool things because I can't do, I can't write, I can't do any kind of script or anything like that. So these water slide transfers are going to be freaking awesome just to throw them on whatever I have. If I have some scrolls or have some purity seals or something like that. These are made for that, and I can use it in other things too. But they look really cool. I guess he's just by printing them at home, or maybe he's got a company to print them out for him. So he's been doing some tests. They seem to be doing pretty well. So those should be sending out pretty soon, hopefully. And uh, I did. I backed uh, the Game Envy um, Desk Wizard for organizing because uh, I noticed that I I just put my paints in front of me because I don't have a very large desk, but I do have a dedicated desk. So when I'm doing a particular project, I pull those paint colors out and keep them out. But I like organizers also. Those should be maybe in a couple months or so, probably. Uh, they seem to do pretty good. It was, uh, they made 41,000. I don't know. I can't remember what their goals were. Uh, I could put my, my uh, tablet it's got a little notch for me to put my nap tablet on there so I can watch videos because that's what I normally do. I don't, I don't have a desktop. I have a different desk for that. And I have a place to put all my paints and my brushes and everything. I have like 30 of them already, but why not when I put some more money towards this stuff? Because it might work. So I'm going to give it a try and see how it works. Um, I think it's going to help out a little bit with my organization and just more storage area and more storage stuff. And we'll go from there and see what happens. But those are the big ones right now. I can't think of anything else. I'm imagining that uh, a lot of companies are just um, holding back a little bit until they get a firm grasp of where things are going around the world. Well, I think a lot of um, stuff is transferring over to STLs, too. And so instead of buying miniatures, you're buying uh, Kickstarter files, it seems. Uh, yeah, probably. I haven't. Um, I think I've only seen a few. Uh, Patreon has a ton of them, and and I think we discussed that earlier. But uh, there's some really cool stuff you can get on Patreon if you're doing a 3D thing. Um, like I said, it's so overwhelming. There's so many cool things out there. Um, I have a backlog of years worth of stuff to print, and but someday I'll get to it. You know, until you know. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know when I'm going to get to this stuff. It's it's definitely uh, it's bad enough to buy buy gray, but now I can just print my own gray out. So if it was money, that would be cool. But it's not. It's not. Hey man, I, I'm just waiting to see some progress on the fabulous custodies. Uh, someday I, I have them in a box. I have them. They are cleaned, if I recall correctly. Uh, I have them in a labeled box that I have that, and they're on my to-do shelf, not my get out of my sight shelf. So, um, but they're near the end of it though, since <laughs> since I think I have some other crap shoved in that box too, because um, now I have my sisters, I have my like four freaking BattleTech boxes. Because um, every time I open them up, I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe how much stuff I have. I gotta paint all this stuff. Like, uh, let's bring out this spray paint and dry brush and get going. Um, so I'll I'll try that uh, that little technique thing. Maybe just keep them a little bit more wet or something like that and uh, dry brush that way. But I don't mind the chalkiness look. Sometimes it looks kind of cool, especially with like old metal and things like that. Uh, so I'll, um, I'll I'll definitely um, give that a try. 
Um, but I have my, you know, boxes of space marines that I need to get through, but they're all cleaned and ready to go, separated into each of their little uh, boxes. Because um, I, I do sub-assemblies, and um, it just makes it easier for me. So I want to make sure the whole model is painted when I put it together. Because if it falls and breaks, then uh, you'll be able to see that it was painted and not just, you know, a big blob of gray. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that is that that's kind of all we have for this show today, I think, right? With that being said, let's throw out a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first, the Nova Open Charitable Foundation raffles are still live. You can go to the NovaOpenFoundation.org. Check them out. They've got some great stuff provided by some of the best artists in the world that you can buy raffle tickets and keep your fingers crossed and hope to win. That'll also, your purchases will help ensure that the Nova Open happens again next year and that the Nova Open Charitable Foundation will be able to reach its goals and help groups like Doctors Without Borders. Also, um, our friend Dutch Adams, we mentioned this in the previous one. He's opened a game store in Manassas and... Uh, it's called Crimson Fields Gaming. The hours are Monday through Friday, and it's 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And this time, I have an address for you. It is 9207 Enterprise Court E1 in Manassas Park, Virginia. So if you have the opportunity, you're in Northern Virginia, and you want to check out a gaming store, help Dutch out, stop by. You also check out his Facebook page for Crimson Field Gaming because they have a giveaway for an Indominus box set going on right now. So, you know, some a little lucrative prize thing there going on. I hope I win.
Kathy, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much for asking me. You know, first and foremost, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the hobby, um, h- how have you been holding up in this world of COVID-19 craziness? Is everything going okay? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it's frustrating not to to feel like uh, I can't go out and do the normal things, but everybody's feeling that. But for me, we've been working at home painting miniatures for years, for 15, at least 15 years. So now I just have more time to work, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> to work and, and watch movies because I'm not going yeah. out and doing things with my friends or going out to dinner or running errands like I used to. Uh, so for me, it's, it's not as bad as it is for other people, you know, like the friends I have who have to go into their jobs every day. I feel bad for them, especially the ones that work at places like grocery stores. I worry about them. Right. It's a tough scenario, too. There's not, not only do you have the disease, but you also have the whole mask debate and all that other stuff going on outside. It's as a well. pretty so mad world right now. Which is so good that we have a hobby <laughs> that we can kind of <laughs> escape to. Um, so could you uh, give me a little bit of your origin or all of your origin story for the hobby, but however you want to go. I just, I'm curious as how do you got into this crazy world of miniature painting? I was not bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> uh, <Hi. laughs> I blame my brother ultimately for getting me into the hobby because it was, he who, with his paper out money, bought all of the D&D stuff when we were kids. He bought the first miniatures I ever saw, which were the little lead ones from... It, it had to have been before Rel Partha, even. They were just these tiny little lead... You know, you had your fighter, you had your barbarian, the thief, the dwarf, the... You know. Uh, and he started painting them. And maybe 1992 is when I painted my first miniature. I painted about six miniatures, and then I didn't paint again for 10 years until I moved in with my husband. And he was playing Blood Bowl with his friends. I didn't know anybody in Chicago. So I'm like, I like games. Teach me this game. I'm going to play. And you're an artist, because at the time he was a a 2D artist, he's a painter, and I said, why are your models not painted? You know you can paint these, right? I said, can I paint them? I'll paint them for you. And there was his Lizardman Blood Bowl team, and I got like halfway through them, and he was like, that looks like fun. Uh, do you mind if I paint some of them? Like, they're your models. Uh, I said, just be careful, I'm going to warn you, painting miniatures can be addictive. And, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, but here we are 15 or so years later, painting miniatures for a living. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and now how, in this situation, you know, the, the, 
the lizard men were there. So fast forward to now, what kind of like what brings you to a to paint? Like, is there anything in particular that you're looking for or um, what kind of catches your attention and so it makes you say, I want to paint that? You know, I don't know that there's any one thing. I guess crisp details. If the details are really crisp, it could be the most weird and whimsical, actually weird and whimsical, creepy cute kind of things uh, are things that I especially like. As far as chaos gods, Nurgle is my favorite because I feel like I feel like the Nurgle models have a lot more scope for doing weird outlandish whimsical stuff like uh like the one i did in my stream recently i painted the lord of plagues and when i when i got the model out of the little bag that all the pieces were in i realized that it was missing a head so and on stream i'm assembling this on stream and cleaning it and everything and I'm like well i don't have a head for this i guess i'll be improvising and they're like you should make it a pumpkin. <laughs> like, okay, okay, I will uh, sculpt a pumpkin head for him out of green stuff. And it worked. I mean, it just, it, it, it looked like it belonged there. And you can do weird stuff like that with Nurgle. That would maybe not have worked so well with a space marine, for instance. <laughs> yeah, so. right. The say Space Marines kind of have that set <laughs> aesthetic. Yeah, putting a pumpkin. <laughs> Although I would like to see it, though. I, I, do, I can't can't lie. I'd like to see that. <laughs> um, so uh, kind of th that that's very cool. You, you like uh, from that Nurgle thing? It sounds like that you like to be able to take it anywhere you want to go with it, whether it's due to a lack of a head or if you inspire get inspired and say, you know what, this Nurgle beast really needs a kid. Oh, yes. You know, that's a lot of fun. That's also what makes this hobby so great is that, you know, I always see people like going, oh, this isn't supposed to look like that in the lore. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I spent the money on it, so I'm going to do what I want with it, you know? It's my model. Right. It's my universe, ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So do you have kind of a, a, a standard approach that you use when you start out painting a model uh, besides just, you know, necessarily, you know, clean, assemble, prime? Is there something like a, I, I don't want to say, I hate the word ritual because that's not really what I mean, but um, kind of like a, a standard operating procedure when you start I, the process? I, I kind of do, but I, I do switch it up occasionally, just sometimes for no reason, like just the other, just. Actually, this morning I was thinking, what if I what if I start a model this way instead of this other way? Uh, but mainly, what I my standard operating procedure is, I like to brush on my Steinolres primer. That's the primer that I have. Uh, I don't use an airbrush, and I don't do rattle can priming. I suck at that. I always over spray shit. <laughs> so I just brush it on. You know, it, I'm not painting huge armies. So I'm not concerned with, you know, do I have to paint 50 space marines or, you know, orcs or whatever. 
sets. I can, I have maybe five or six guys in front of me. I just assembled them. I brush on the primer. Usually it's a dark one first. Sometimes it's a light one first. Uh, if it's a light one, then I'll do a wash to get uh, dark shadows into the recesses and then maybe do a dry brush over it. And I call it my half-assed zenithal. This dry <laughs> brushing that I do. Because usually I'll I'll use a darker color. I, I seldom use black. Um, I'll use a dark brown. I'll mix black with terracotta because Steinol Res has a, a crap ton of different colored primers. Uh, I'll use a, a sort of, there's one that's green, but it's like a really sort of a gray green. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll take a mid-tone, you know, like a, a medium gray color and dry brush that. So it's sort of a mid-value. Mid it's really kind of a like a value sketch. I call it my half-ass zenithal because I don't use an airbrush, so I had to figure out how to do that kind of thing just with a brush. And then I do a really light gray or, you know, off-white or whatever color, a lighter color. It doesn't even matter if it's gray, really. It's the value of the color that matters, you know, between light and dark. It's not the color that necessarily matters. So I have a dark, I have a medium value, and I have a, a lighter value, my three values. And it's dry brush. And the dry brush picks out the details, and that's what I'm most interested in. But I also use very translucent paints, usually, which means that you'd be able to see some of those values between light and dark after I put the paint on. And sometimes I, you know, sometimes I'll make it more opaque and sometimes not. But that's why I set my models up like that is because I use more translucent paints. It's really not going to matter if your paints are really opaque and you're doing the flat base coat sort of technique. Then, then you're just wasting your time with the zenithal or whatever because <laughs> you're right. just covering no. it up. I've always wondered that. I see people go through the, the process of doing that, that that start out with the Zenfall highlighting and then start putting opaque paints on. And I'm like, well, I guess you could have it in your memory of where you had all the lights yeah. and stuff, but now they're all gone. You know? It, you know, it does help. And I've done that myself. I've covered up some of my, you know, my values with opaque paint. But as you're painting, sometimes you have that opportunity to glaze a little or to do a little ink in one area. Maybe this area is opaque and maybe this other area is, is more translucent or you want to do glazes or you want to, you know, do a, a ink wash or use a contrast paint or something on that area. So, you know, you've got the whole model. You can figure all these things out. So it's really, it's almost an exercise rather than a necessity you're just kind of doing an exercise it's a little practice which little is practice. always a good thing absolutely and i really am glad to hear uh you you uh, that's very somewhat similar to the way I, I do it too i do always do a dry brush of the details especially like if i have to do something that's a, a really really small model um but uh 
yeah, that, that always seems to help bring out. I don't know. It, I, it's it's always easier to, easier to paint than it, with that dry brush on. So I could totally appreciate you doing that for sure. Yeah, and when people use an airbrush <laughs> for that sort of thing, they're pretty much doing the same thing, just with an airbrush instead of you know a dry brush. Mm-hmm. Right. That, very true. And and now have you um, switched over to? Uh, the makeup brush world of dry brushing because I know there's a huge like now uh, a lot of momentum for using makeup brushes for for dry brushing um, do you use a kind of standard paintbrush or do you have you switched over to makeup brushes I actually have uh, I have a few old dry brushes I have a couple of the old Citadel ones and I have one that's oddly enough it's a games and gears one that I got at Adepticon in the swag bag and I love it. I actually, I did a stream where I experimented with using old brushes, using, you know, chopped up old brushes, using, uh, I don't remember if I had a makeup brush then. I used the Citadel ones, and then I used this this Games and Gears one, and uh, I hadn't used it before. And it turned out to be, of all of the stuff that I was trying, the best thing for the job. But I haven't, I haven't tried a makeup brush, I don't think. Uh, Jim, my husband, uses makeup brushes uh, for dry brushing, and he loves it. So I, I suppose once my brushes are ruined <laughs> enough where they don't work anymore, then, you know, then I'll do that. Thanks. Now, uh, speaking of, of, of streaming, so when you when you started doing Twitch, um, what kind of made that decision for you to start teaching painting? Like, what 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 was the impetus behind teaching painting? Well, there we go. It's funny. Uh, the only reason I was streaming is because I have a podcast with a couple friends of mine on Sunday nights, and. I figured that since I had access to our podcast Twitch channel during the week, I would just paint. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the afternoon, I paint uh, on that channel. And oh my goodness, I think I need to close a window. <laughs> uh, I just had a loud sound here. So um, anyways. So that was my that was my reason for streaming. I was like, well, I'm going to be sitting here painting anyways. I might as well stream. And I started out doing it only twice a week. And but as I got more comfortable with it, I was actually pretty anxious about it to start out with, to tell you the truth, because I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that teaching comes naturally to or explaining my process. Um, and also all of the gear and everything that goes with streaming was I was still learning how to work that stuff. So I was nervous to start out with. And once I got used to it uh, and I was I was getting helpful feedback from people then I felt like I could increase it to four days a week. And uh, it's just, it's it's been so much fun. And while I still feel like I'm not 
a great teacher, I talk through my process while I'm doing it. It's more free form. It's not like a structured kind of class thing. I can't do structured class sort of things. I've, I tried making some tutorial videos. It was very difficult for me. Uh, but in talking through my process live, uh, I have learned more about my process. It makes me conscious of what I'm doing. It makes me more conscious of the choices that I'm making when I'm working on a model, which is an unintended and helpful benefit. Right. You kind of answered the next question is what I was going to ask you is uh, how does it impact your painting? So you've become basically more aware of of your how you paint really yeah. and the decisions you make. And now, once I'm once I'm more aware of that, uh, it's easier for me to remember that and apply it the next time I paint. All right, so now, what is the channel's name? It's called More Than Dice, a podcast. All right, awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely make sure that we have links to that in the show notes, so people can also check that out as well, and uh, check out your Twitch times. And so, um, who are? Let me ask you this question too. Uh, who are some of your biggest influences? It can either be in the miniature painting world or art world. Wherever I, you know, a lot, people kind of go all over the place with this with the answer to this question. So, where, where, wherever you take us, will be awesome. Oof. Uh, I, I must think. Well, I mean, my brother was my inspiration uh, just to start out miniature painting, and his enthusiasm for for painting models and for everything Warhammer at the time is is what kind of drew me into that universe and got me in, excited about it. And when I saw Jim's Blood Bowl team, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can, I can do this. I can do this now. And then I got a Blood Bowl team and then we discovered Cool Mini or Not, the, uh, the forum. And that is just seeing all the people posting their work on Cool Mini or not on, on the forum there was a huge influence. Because I thought, I thought I was pretty good. I wasn't. I sucked. Um, but I thought I was good until I looked at things that other people were doing. And, and I was like, you can do that with bases? I never even thought you could like build up bases and, and, you know, and then in the forums, you're finding out the material that people are using for these kind of things. So many people were so helpful with their knowledge. And, uh, but even now there's, there are people that, uh, that I'm inspired by like Kirill Kanev. He's, he is one of my favorite painters and, I love that he does that super realistic non-metallic metal, you know, with the really chromey reflections. And oh, my Lord, yes. <laughs> he does these just stunning freehand designs, just these tiny little freehand designs, and they're so intricate. And I know that most of the models that he's working with are larger scale, but it's still incredible to have all this detail and not just 
not just patterns, but painting in the texture of material like like worn fabric and worn leather. Uh, and just all those little details are things he pays attention to. And that's the kind of thing that I aspire to. His Instagram page is a rabbit hole for me. I have to mm-hmm. like put, a, put put myself on a timer and I'm like, okay, can only look at it for 30 minutes because I'll sit there and look at his pieces and yeah, I look, some of them look like they're going to start talking to you. Mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> they're crazy for sure. Awesome. Well, that's it. That, now, so that's, um, that's kind of an excellent point too, that um, even for you, who's a, a, a absolutely fantastic artist, um, there are there are influences out there that you look at their work and go, wow, you know, like I want to do that too. And so that's kind of neat for our listeners to hear that even when you've obtained a high level book painting, there's always always room to grow, always there, room to try new things. There's always room for for learning new things and realizing that even if even if you are good and you feel like you're good, you feel like you have a handle on things, you know, there's people you can learn from. There's ideas that you may not have considered. So always, I'm always looking for the new ideas. So let me, the, the kind of in, in this vein too, um, what is the most kind of recent situation where you've looked at something and gone oh that is an awesome idea i have i have to try that i i know for me uh, it's been uh, i see all these resin pours and i've seen all these amazing like i'm like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna buck i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try to do a some form of water scene now so i'm oh, that's i was just my talking to someone about that today believe it or not on my stream <laughs> oh nice <laughs> he's, he's teaching uh, one of the Reaper Online classes, and he's mm-hmm. he's teaching a class in water effects. And so we were talking about different water effects in the resin pour and how I've just been really chicken about trying it. Oh, I feel <laughs> your pain. I do, I'm the same way. Uh, I said I really yeah, that... need to just screw up my courage and, you know, get some resin and you know, make some crappy base I don't care about just to try it so that if I ruin it, at least it's not something I've invested a ton of time in. Right. And, and you learn. Every, every mistake you make is a learning experience. Oh, definitely. You know, so yeah, it's funny. It's a lot of uh, water and ice and snow seem to be big challenges for for uh, for miniature painters like getting a realistic effect you either get a foam look on the snow and you're like why does it look like party foam instead of snow or <laughs> i need you know, to all... yeah snow is on my list of things to do snow bases i i may have done a couple snow bases way back when i was you know, in the first few years of painting miniatures, and they weren't that good. But I haven't done any since then. Not not any. And I have one base. Not that anyone can see. I was looking behind me at the <laughs> base that's waiting for me to, to get some paint on it. And it's going to be a wintry snow scene. And so that's the one that I'll be practicing on. And hopefully my practice will... Uh, will not look terrible 
Well, if you if you take pictures of it, we can link it in our Instagram page so we can like and put it out as you make progress. We can uh, let, <laughs> let let people who listen or see it too. And it's a uh, it's always a learning thing to watch uh, people's progress as they, as they go along. I always find it you know even and some of it's even better than a step by step. And you know what I mean, like when people put a step by. Yeah, I always post my work in progress on all my projects on my Instagram. All right. Awesome. We're definitely going to put a link to that if that's okay in our, in our show notes so that people can, can, uh, can follow you. Cause that's, I don't know, Instagram, the world of miniature painting has gotten so insanely better over the last few years, even, even over the last few years itself. So uh, along those lines too, you know, since you started uh, back in the early nineties and coming back into it 10 years later, what are some of the kind of the changes that you've noticed that have really impacted the miniature painting world? I think social media is the biggest thing. Just cool mini or not, as much as that changed, you know, how what I was doing because I could see all these amazing things that other people were doing and I could strive towards, you know, trying to figure out how they did it or just ask them how they did it and they would tell me, you know. And then I could try it myself. Uh, that was huge at the time. But now with this explosion of Facebook groups and discords and Twitch and YouTube tutorials, there's so much information out there. All you really have to do is search whatever you mean. You could search lava bases and you would find a ton of hobby references. Yeah, it's really it's an amazing world. I think about it. I I, I started out um, late '80s. Then I did it for a couple of years, and then fast forward uh, 25 years later, uh, after a, after a 25 year plus break, and my son found my models and got back into the hobby four or five years ago. Um, it's just crazy. I remember picking a white dwarf and looking at it and like reading their thing going oh well, what the hell's an ink wash nobody ah. explained what an ink wash was they just did them back in the day and so now you go and you can buy a pot of wash and i'm like what is this liquid magic you know <laughs> oh i love the washes i remember when they first came out it was it was so much fun to play with those they really help things i am a little sad that that everybody's go-to is null oil because i feel like it works really great for some things, but for other things, it just desaturates them and makes them look dirty. So I'm, I urge people to experiment with the other colors of washes <laughs> besides just Thank black. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I am so in that, in that, that club that actually none oil. I don't have it. I got it kind of I'd like it's filled and I went good riddance, you know, cause it does. I feel like the same way when you, you put a wash on it has like, an, it's like almost a dirty feel to it at the end of it and like that's yeah. not what i was going for i i so it's much more interesting go ahead unless you want you know desaturated and dirty effects i mean that's perfect for that and it's great for for washing on uh metals you know like steel and stuff but if you're looking for a really saturated red or green or some bright blue or something and then you wash the null oil over it it's just going to desaturate it and you'll be sad 
there are right. there are yeah. other alternatives. Well, you know, and it's just so much. I, I've watched a few many videos recently about making chromatic blacks instead, and that, that making blacks from mixing colors together. Oh, and the I results always are do so that. Much, yeah. I don't even own black. Mm-hmm. So can you can you talk a little bit about uh, about chromatic black then, and in, in your process to getting black? Even, I think that would be helpful. I didn't even know that that's what it was called. That that's what people call it. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I just know that back in high school, when I took a painting class, my art teacher would not let us use black. He gave us, you know, this whole other palette of colors. We had our cadmium red. We had our, you know, cadmium orange. We had cadmium yellow. We had uh, phthalo green, phthalo blue. uh, I don't know, some other colors. But anyways, my favorite for making a dark color that's not quite black is using phthalo green and cadmium red. And what I have found in miniature paints is Reaper Miniatures makes the clear paints, which which are kind of pretty much just like artist acrylics only as miniature paints. They're kind of those same pigments that I was using, you know, back in my high school painting class. Uh, they have a, a phthalo green and they have a red. And when I mix those two together, they act just like my, my cadmium red and phthalo green artist acrylics. So they make that really nice, dark, dark color. And if you add a little more of the green, then it becomes a little cooler you know, and you get a little bit more of a greenish tone to it. If you add a little bit more red, it's all of a sudden it's a little warmer. And now it's more of a a really dark uh, maroon or a dark reddish brown color, but just right on the cusp of, of being black. And when you build up the opacity of it, it gets darker. That's my favorite. And it's so much more visually interesting, so much more visually interesting than just a flat black. I I feel like it is, too. That's a a great recipe, though, like of using that. I mean, that's you've basically summed up the whole process of color theory, you know, red and green together, (laughs) complementary colors. Boom. (laughs) There there are other ways to do it, but that is my favorite. You can you can go phthalo blue mixed with uh, magenta, and, and get too. a nice, nice dark blue. color that way too. It'd be more of a purpley color. But yeah, there's it. It does take some experimentation. I'm gonna tell you, it it takes some experimentation to kind of get your ratios. You know, I, I just eyeball it. Don't even. People ask for measurements, and I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, you know, and it, and it, it it's kind of that. That's a it's an interesting uh, conflict in situations. You know, there are a lot of artists who won't give recipes, just say color in the area of color. But when somebody's new and starting out and watching the their video, they're kind of reliant on you know the 
wait, is that Vallejo's ice yellow or is that this color from Reaper, et cetera, because they just don't know enough yet. And so it's always kind of, there's always kind of that, that struggle. And I understand like when you're painting, you're, you're eyeballing it, you're looking at the tones of the figure in front of you and where you want to go. And so, yeah, I, mean, I totally get it that it's hard to give an exact ratio and not even just that. It's also and paints. I will, I will hold my palette up to the camera. I was doing that just today. Uh, somebody in the chat was asking about skin tones because she's new to the hobby and she doesn't yet have a skin tone paint and she wanted a skin tone that was like her skin and so I held the palette up and I said these are the you know I like to start out with some red some magenta some yellow uh, a little bit of green in this case you're going to put some white in it because we want it to be really light if you want a darker tone maybe leave the white out and maybe put a little more of the red green in because you know red with a little green in it you know you're going to get a, a browner color a darker color and then maybe you add a little bit of yellow to it and you get a, a lighter brown color so those colors by themselves, you can make a ton of different skin colors with those colors. Yeah, well, a class I took uh, with Roman Laplatte was one of the things we had to do is we had to, we had five colors and we had to make our own. We had the primaries and then black and white, and we had to make our own skin tone. And so, like, <laughs> so me and my my podcast host also took the class as well. And we're sitting there like, wait, is that my color? You know, it, it was a great exercise and kind of in seeing all the different colors that go in to make up actually what skin tone color is, not just peach. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. If you um, don't have peach, then. You kind of need to fool around with your your red, your yellow, your magenta, your white. They will all make peach for you if peach is the color that you're looking for. <laughs> very true. Very true. Very true. So um, in that line of talking about colors, are there... Now, you had mentioned the, the Reaper clears, but are there any other paints that kind of seem to constantly make their way onto your models? Like... Uh, my my example is uh, deck tan from Vallejo. I, I kind of that makes it and somehow even if I don't bring it with me, somehow it reappears like a Ouija board in my painter's kit. You know, <laughs> I uh, the more that I've been painting with the Reaper Clear paints, let's see, I have let's see, I have the the phthalo blue and green, red, orange, yellow, magenta regular green, regular blue, purple. I think there's nine colors. So there's nine of the clear paints. And between those and white, that's mostly all I use these days. Oh, I do have Vallejo game color, Verdigree, and I love <laughs> it. I could make that color easily using the reaper clears and white it's a really light uh greenish color mm -hmm. but since i have a bottle of this i will continue to use it until it's gone right you've got it why not right yeah yeah <laughs> so um 
are there models out there that have not been done that you would like to see made? Like I always give the example of I would like to see the Dark Tower the Dark Tower characters from Stephen King's series kind of come to life in miniature form. Is there anything out there that hasn't been made yet that you'd like to see? Um, geez, to be honest, I can't think of anything. It's, it's not something I've really thought about much. There's so many models out there that, that I have or that <laughs> I want, uh, but I don't even think about the ones that don't exist yet. <laughs> That's fair. So what's on? What's a model out there that that you want to get that you don't have? Oh, but the giant Cthulhu one from Coleman or not? That is a monstrosity. It's not. Oh, it's huge. I saw the. I saw it at, at Gen Con. Oh wow! And, uh, and it's. I can't imagine trying to tackle painting that. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I can. I can. That's why I want it. I think it would be so much fun. I'm a big Lovecraft fan, so, and, and that's another reason why I like Nurgle stuff, because it kind of borders on the Lovecraftian. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that kind of makes sense that, you know, if, if you want that Chithulu, I I would hope that you had a somewhat of a thing for Lovecraft. Because uh, <laughs> that's, you know, and it, it's interesting to hear you say that, too. Now, if you were to get that model, would you approach like that model's got airbrush written all over it to me? <laughs> well, it would look like to prime that you might have to break out like a house painting brush or something. <laughs> I would certainly start with uh, priming it with a larger brush. I have a bunch of brushes from back in the day when I was painting 2D art, and they are much bigger than the ones I use for miniatures, as you can imagine. <laughs> right. Right, for sure. That would be, seem to be a lot of fun. So um, one of the things that we always ask our, our guests is the motto of our podcast is better, braver, happier. Is there any advice that you could give our listeners in kind of pursuit of that goal? Uh, better, braver, happier. I would have to say uh, don't, don't let the fear of making a mistake paralyze you. Don't don't make that don't let that fear just stop you from diving in and painting the model. I, I know it's easy to say because I've I've been at that point where I just don't want to paint it because I'm too trepidatious. I feel like I'll I'll screw it. I, that's how I used to feel, you know, years ago. But I've learned since then that. I'm going to make a mistake on every model I paint. I'm going to make at least one mistake. I just will. And once you accept the fact that you're going to be making mistakes on all your models, uh, <laughs> it's less surprising when it happens. Um, and then you realize that you can fix your mistakes. Any mistake you make can be fixed. You don't need to strip the model. Oh, it breaks my heart when people their go-to when they get a skin tone wrong or something is strip the model. That's a waste of time. It's a pain in the butt. And it's needless. It's not necessary. Unless you've really caked on the paint and it's an inch thick. If you use a, you know, a spackling knife to apply your paint, maybe. <laughs> um, hey, wait, have you seen me paint? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I mean, I know it's frustrating when you mess up. It is. And you swear and you stomp around and your hands shake. And you, so put the model down, take a deep breath. You know what? Maybe come back to it the next day. I, I'm painting the scissoring of desire right now, uh, a creature caster model. Also, it's called the twins. There's, it has two names. I don't know why. Um, I think Suzerain of Desire is more poetic than the twins. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyways, so I finished the skin on the male part of this model. And I loved it. And it, I felt like it turned out perfectly. And then I went on to paint the skin on the female portion, which is a different color. And the next day I turned it over and I realized that some of my paint got on my thumb and transferred uh, across the chest of the skin I already had finished. And yeah, I swore. Yeah, (laughs) I was upset. And the next day when I was more calm, I went and I fixed it. That's all you can do. It's going to take a little time. But you can fix it. You, you, you know, don't worry about making mistakes. You will make mistakes and it will be frustrating. And you just fix them. And it's fine. It will all be fine. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time to, to chat with us and uh, to share your painting journey with us. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's, and I love that the model is better, braver, happier, because painting braver is that's the way that you learn. 